Grace is a word that we throw around quite a bit at church. We may even throw it around at home. Uh, we throw it around a lot when we talk about the Bible and Bible studies, things like that. Uh, and we love it. It's a great word. Uh, but we use it so often that a lot of times it, it loses its specialness to us uh, because we, ju- we just take it for granted. We can just rattle it off what it means. And so I want to take a moment and just tell you what grace is. Grace is God's undeserved love. Undeserved. And it's for you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who lived for you, who died for you, who rose for you. Think about that. God's grace means that He loves you whether you have earned it or not. That's grace. Whether you have deserved it or not. That's grace. And it's yours through Jesus. Grace is something that we love when it's happening to us, but grace, when it's happening to someone else, can kind of be offensive at times. Right? Because grace is unfair. Grace you can't earn, grace you can't deserve. And so when people receive it that we don't think deserve it, it's a little offensive. Because if we're honest, we like justice, right? We like people getting what they deserve. I'll give you for instance. David McCreevy uh, was a British man, is a British man, and uh, in 1972... He was 21 years old, living with his good friends uh, who had three children, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a nine-month-old. And one day, they asked David to watch their kids for an hour. And David did. And in that hour, one of them started to cry and wouldn't stop. And so David killed all three kids. In 1973, he was arrested, and he was sentenced to life in prison for his actions. This past year in December, David was up for parole. And the mother of the three kids showed up to that parole hearing and begged the court to not release him. Pleaded with them to keep David in prison because it wasn't fair that he got to go free and live his life when her kids would never be free, when her kids would never live. Despite her begging, the court released him. Was justice served? Maybe he did serve time, but imagine if that was you, if you were that mother. Would you consider justice served? It was grace that David was let free. And grace in that moment almost seems a bit offensive. How dare he get something that he hasn't earned or deserved? We like justice. We like guilty people punished. And we like innocent people set free. And we don't like it when innocent people get punished. And we don't like it when guilty people walk. And that's what makes a section of Scripture we're going to look at today so difficult. It makes our blood boil. It causes us to rage and get furious. Because it's the greatest amount of injustice that has ever taken place. We're in Luke chapter 22, the very ending of, of, of 22, into 23. It's a long section of Scripture, and yet what we're going to see is that the greatest injustice took place, and because it did, you and I receive grace. Luke chapter 22, we are in 
the morning of Good Friday. We are in the morning of Friday at the very moment of daybreak. What has happened in the middle of the night? Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. He got arrested by Judas and and the chief priests, the elders of the people, and the Roman government. In the middle of the night, they went to the high priest's home where they had a, a brief trial. And now at daybreak, they're having another trial. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 22. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I ask you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. According to the Jewish laws, they could hold court and they could run a trial, but there was a very brief time in the day when that could take place. That time was after the morning worship service, around 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, until dinner time, 4 or 5 o'clock at night. Guess what times that eliminates? The middle of the night and at daybreak. They are breaking their own laws to try Jesus. You talk about unjust. First of all, Jesus is innocent, and they're trying to speed this thing through so that they can condemn him and get this all to happen before the people wake up and know what's going on. They bring Jesus before him and says, if you are the Messiah, tell us. And Jesus' response kind of seems a little weird, but let's just walk through it. If I tell you, you will not believe me. Pretty straightforward. If Jesus says, yes, I'm the Messiah, they're going to say, no, you're not. And Jesus says, if I ask you, you would not answer. In other words, if Jesus says, do you think I'm the Messiah? They were to remain silent. He's already done that earlier in his life, and they remain silent. And so Jesus says, look, there's no point asking this question, but let me clear one thing up. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. In other words, I'm going to be seating, seated, I'm going to be seated next to God in heaven. Is that clear enough for you, Pharisees? They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Little weird conversation here. They, said, they understood what Jesus was saying, but they wanted to make sure. So they said, Are you then the Son of God? And Jesus says, You say that I am. Which seems so encrypted. Jesus, why don't you just answer the question? He actually is. Uh, this, is a, this was a way of speech for the Greeks. Uh, somebody asked a question, and you would just respond, you say. And it's a, a way of speech that basically says, it, what you just said is true. It is what you say. And so Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. And we see they understood it, because look how they respond. Why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Well, why did they need more testimony? Because according to Jewish laws, nothing could be decided except on two or three witnesses. And they didn't have a single one. So you talk about unjust. Meeting in the middle of the night, meeting before, uh, before dawn, and they don't have two or three witnesses, and yet they say, why do we need any more? Let's take them to Pilate. And they take them to Pilate to be tried. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, 
We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. What did the Jewish people have a problem with Jesus? That he claimed to be God, right? He just claimed to be God. That's why they wanted him dead. But Pilate won't care about that. If they bring Jesus before Pilate and say, hey, this man claims to be God, Pilate's going to say, big deal. And so what do they have to do? They have to get Pilate to realize that Jesus is trying to overthrow the Roman government. And so they bring those false charges against Jesus. He's subverting our nation. No, he wasn't. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. No, Jesus actually said, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And he claims to be Messiah, a king. True, but how many times did Jesus avoid crowds that tried to make him king? He wasn't an earthly king, and he made that clear every single time. Imagine being a follower of Jesus, and if you were there hearing this. Imagine following Jesus to the high priest's house, and you hear these false accusations, you hear Jesus claim to be God, and they condemn him. And you start to get that pit in your stomach, and then they bring, bring him to Pilate, and all of a sudden they're bringing false charges against Jesus. It, it, your blood would be boiling. Where is this coming from? This is not right. And so Pilate examines him. So Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. <coughs> Try and picture the scene before Pilate. Here, Pilate standing in front of him is Jesus. He's not uh, obnoxious. He's quiet. He's beaten, black and blue eyes. He's got blood running down his face. His own people hand him over to Pilate. He's got no followers around. And so Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes. And Pilate examines him and looks him up and down and says, This man's no threat. And he says so. I find no basis for charge against this man. He's not trying to overthrow the government. He's not being obnoxious. You guys just have it out for him. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate loved hearing that Jesus was from Galilee. Pilate ruled Judea, which was the southern area of Jerusalem. Herod ruled Galilee, the northern area. So Pilate said, oh, this man's not even in my territory. Send a a Herod. Instead of declaring that this man is innocent, instead of just ending it right there and saying, look, you guys are wrong, he's innocent, gone. He sends him to Herod to let this thing continue. Herod is all excited to see him because he heard that Jesus does all these signs and wonders. And so what's he want from Jesus? Entertain me, Jesus. 
Do some miracles. Show me some signs. And Jesus remains silent. And so what does Herod do? First, he declares him innocent, and then he mocks him. Dresses him up as a king and mocks him. Talk about unjust. First of all, even if he was guilty, why would you ever do that? But you're talking about the innocent Son of God here on trial. He's innocent, and you dress him up and mock him. Imagine if the court did that today. If the court took somebody who was on trial and dressed them up and mocked them in front of the rest of the court. It would be an outrage. And yet these people loved it. Herod declares him innocent, sends him back to Pilate. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. Real just, right? Is that how you treat an innocent man? That you just said you find no basis for charges against him? Herod found no charges against him. And yet, to appease the people, you're going to have an innocent man punished? Which probably meant whipped. Again, imagine if that happened today. There would be just so much outrage. And yet Pilate says, I'm going to have him whipped and beaten and and then we'll release him. Because he's innocent. Uh, But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Instead, what do the people say? Give us the guilty one who's sitting in prison. Give us the first century David McCreevy out of prison and condemn Jesus in his place. Barabbas had been charged with murder. Barabbas had been charged with subverting the nation and being an insurrectionist, trying to overthrow the government. He's sitting in prison. He deserves to be crucified. And yet what do the people say? Give us him and condemn Jesus in his place. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! For the third time he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant them their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Pilate tries to appeal to the people, but an uprising was happening, and Pilate, wanting to save his political seat, gives in to the people's demand. And so what does he do? He releases the guilty and condemns the innocent. Your first point today, the justice system failed. Think about how innocent Jesus was and how often, just in this account, he was found innocent. The Jewish people could only condemn him for one reason. And that reason was for being God. Otherwise, Jesus was innocent of all charges. Herod, or, uh, yeah, Herod, 
finds Jesus innocent and sends him back to Pilate. Pilate three times says, I find no basis for charge against this man. And yet what happens? Pilate declares Jesus guilty and condemns him. You know, we watch a lot of um, Netflix documentaries and things like that where uh, it's seeming injustice takes place. And uh, we watch those and we kind of get our blood boiling and we get furious, but we really only know one side of the story in those documentaries. That's not the case here. Here we know the entire story. Here we know Jesus was in fact innocent. He's the innocent Son of God. He's God Himself, perfect and holy in every way. And yet the justice system failed and condemned Him to die. But the justice system failed a second time that night, right? It failed in condemning an innocent man, but it also failed in releasing a guilty man. And the guilty one walked. But imagine that you're Barabbas. Take a minute and just try to imagine that you're Barabbas. And it's that night. And you're sitting in your cold dungeon of a prison with rats running around. You know what you did. You know that you rightly deserve to be in prison. You know that your punishment is crucifixion and that it's just for your actions. You knew that going into your actions. And now you've been arrested and condemned. And so you're sitting there, waiting for the day when you're going to the cross. When all of a sudden, a soldier comes in and says, Hey, you've been freed. And as you're walking out of the prison, you look to your right, and there, standing before Pilate, is Jesus. And the soldier says, That man right there, he's been condemned in your place. Now the the cross that used to have the name Barabbas on it, now says Jesus on it. Now the nails that were going to go through His hands and His feet were going to be going through Jesus' hands and feet. Why? Because Pilate declared Jesus to die and He decreed you to be free. How How would you feel if you were Barabbas? It's how you should feel right now. Because that very thing happened not in Pilate's court, but in God's court. You see, as Pilate's court was going on, another court session was happening. It was God's court, where you and I stood and where Jesus stood. And there were all kinds of charges brought against us. And here's what God's decree was. Ezekiel 18 says this, For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. What does God say in His court? Everyone belongs to me. Everyone answers to me. And what is my verdict? Whoever sins is going to die. And where does that leave you and me? To die, right? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there we stand before God, and God is getting ready to decree that we deserve death when all of a sudden a voice speaks up. Uh, Excuse me, Father, Your Honor, it's Jesus. And he says, you've got the wrong guy. You've got the wrong girl. 
I'm the one who did all those things. I'm the one who lied. I'm the one who lusted. I'm the one who lost my temper. I'm the one filled with pride. I'm the one who's arrogant. I'm the one who, who gets angry and loses it on people. I'm the one who hurt people's feelings. I'm the one with the vulgar mouth. I'm the one who has contempt from your word. See, Father, it was me. It was not them. You've got the wrong one. And God says, Okay. Jesus, you are condemned to die. And then He turns to you and me and He says, You're free. You're free. See, here's what happened that night. God condemned Jesus and declared you innocent. At the cross of Christ, we see God's justice and we see His grace. It was not unjust for God to condemn Jesus. Pilate was unjust. God was not. Because what did Jesus do? He took all of your sins and made them His own. Though He was holy and perfect Himself, though He never sinned once, Jesus took all of your sins from your record and put put them on His record. Jesus said, I did all these. And God says, okay. And at the cross... God took out His just anger, His just punishment on sin on Jesus. But at the cross, we see the grace of God. His undeserved and unconditional love for us. Because at the cross, when Jesus dies, God turns to you and says, You are free. You are innocent. You are perfect in My sight. You are forgiven. What did Barabbas do to earn this? Nothing. It was a decree by Pilate, right, that set him free. What did you and I deserve to be free in God's sight? Nothing. It's completely by the grace, undeserved love of God that He would declare us innocent and declare Jesus guilty for us. You see, here's your last point today. This is grace. This is grace. There is no better picture of grace in all of Scripture than this right here. That Jesus would be declared guilty that we may be declared innocent. That He would die and we would go free. This is grace. Undeserved love. And it's this undeserved love, this grace, that completely changes our lives. As you look into your future, your future is not depressing. Your future isn't bleak. Your future isn't the grave. Your future is joy-filled. Your future is peace. Your future is heaven. Because you have been freed from death, freed from sin, free from condemnation. But it also changes your life right now. Because you are freed from guilt. You are freed from shame. And you're freed from viewing God as a just God who is only out to punish you. Now, God is your Heavenly Father, who loves you unconditionally, who loves you even when you're unlovable, who doesn't hold your sins against you because He took it out on Jesus. This is grace. And this is what you have. We love justice. We love people getting what they deserve. But we love grace even more. 
Because it's God's grace that gets us forgiveness. It's God's grace that gets us heaven. It's God's grace that we receive His love, His peace, His joy forever. Imagine that you were Barabbas that night. And then seeing Jesus take your place, every time you had that memory of that man up there being condemned in your place, what would fill your heart? Thanks? Joy? That's what should fill our hearts every single day when we think of Jesus. We can be filled with joy. We can be filled with thanks. We can be filled with praise and honor for Jesus. He doesn't want us to feel guilty. He did it willingly. And so this week as we think of Jesus, this this whole year as we think of Jesus, every time let us be filled with joy. Let us be filled with thanks and praise for Jesus who willingly was condemned that we might be free. His pain was our gain and our gain was grace. May God be with you this week as you grow in His grace and in His love. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we praise and thank You for Your love, for Your grace, uh, that You would take our place and die for us. Help us to live in in thanks and praise to You for everything You've done for us. Let us be filled with, uh, not with guilt, not with shame, but with peace, knowing that our sins are forgiven because of You. In Your name we pray. Amen.